when you have a people, a community which you want to destroy, the easiest way to do so in my book is that you take one of their beliefs about themselves, something which is an aspect of a greater belief, but you amplify it to the degree that it becomes the cause of their downfall. Yeah, in very simple words, you've explained it beautifully. <clears throat> yes, I agree. And if you look at, like, now, this might sound postmodernism, but we are not postmodernists down here at all. Yeah. And nor are we saying that decolonization is something worth pursuing. What has happened has happened. We just need to learn to live with the facts after all. But when you have this martial race myth, which is still foisted onto Sikhs, you get a lot of discrepancies, a lot of dichotomies, and you get a lot of contradictions. The foremost being Sikhi isn't rooted in ethnicity, it isn't rooted in race. Sikhi is open for all ethnicities and all races. And this was how it was during the times of the Gurus. And non-martial communities came into Sikhi and were made into veteran seasoned warriors fighting for their beliefs and their right to live life on Guru Nanak's terms. So how then can we say that we are a martial race when there is nothing in our blood to distinguish us from any other race or any other community? Well, uh, the, very the very first thing you need to do about this is that you have to find out uh, that where does this, this theory come from, where and when. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's the first point. And uh, the second point is, did we call ourselves a martial race, or did somebody else give us that title? We didn't call ourselves a martial race, but I mean, like, let's just look at Punjab in the early 19th century. We had pretty much the entire region under our control. And let's face the truth, we were arrogant. We were arrogant that the strength of our, of our arms had carried the day for us. And so when the British came along, they saw this. Now, if I remember correctly, after 1857, they brought in this theory of martial castes. Castes such as Brahmins, Mangal Pandey's caste, Mangal Pandey being the individual who catalyzed, I would say, the first uh, mutiny, the 1857 mutiny. Now, of course, I'm not referring to the pop, pop culture Mangal Pandey, you know, the one depicted in Bollywood films. But the real Mangal Pandey, now anyway, based on his actions, they decided that the Brahmins weren't a martial caste, uh, others weren't martial castes. Only those castes were martial who the British recognized as being uh, loyal to them. And from there came the theory of race. Now, one thing which I'd like to underscore down here is that for the British during those times, your race essentially decided your religion. So if you were born in a race which was a non-Christian race, then essentially you were a heathen race. It was a way of curbing collective re uh, revolutionary sentiments and also sort of just keeping a massive surveillance operation going. So these non-martial castes, non-martial races, non-martial communities, they had to be watched or at the very least kept away from military uh, affairs so they wouldn't acquire enough manpower or you can say enough firepower to overturn the existing order and restore the old order which was in place before they came. 
or you could also say that in, in, in this particular context of the British, British and the Indian people, that the, that the people who were most likely to, to partake in a rebellion, you, you would try to bring them to, to your side beforehand. Hmm, hmm, hmm. So, I guess the um, warrior yeah. race theory, the martial race theory, not warrior race, this was a bit of insurance, a uh, fail-safe in case the first formula you mentioned failed. Well, you don't create an empire out of nothing, yeah? <laughs> mm. You need more plan A, plan B, plan Z, up to all the way up to Z, maybe. Mm, and they need to work simultaneously, take off from where the other fails, without making it seem that you're too weak. To me, uh, the word martial race means absolutely nothing. Yeah? Mm, 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 you're right. But I have to think about it because the way our seats were used by our colonizers and uh, I would say foreigners because well, in, in this sense I can use the word foreigner and an outsider mm -hmm. they, they, they praise us oh you are a warrioress you are a fighter you know you are strong mm -hmm. you are big you are tall whatever mm -hmm. and then we die for them fighting their wars mm -hmm. so if you have to imagine uh 1840s, we had our own version of a civil war in the Khalsaraj and everything. Yes. Our state, our state collapsed. Mm. And then you have a very large number of soldiers and mercenaries that have, are out of job. Mm -hmm. The British just came in and hired them. Mm. And um, mm. uh, a large, a, uh, they already had a large number of Sikh troops from the Says Satoloji uh, principalities, but yeah, yeah free border and, and everything, and, and mm. everything. So now it was much easier for them to control the entire state of Punjab with Sikh troops. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yep. if they start started calling us the martial race, mm. it nat naturally elevated the status of poor, uneducated Sikhs of Punjab. Mm, mm, mm. So you elevated my status. You used me to to well oppress my own people, including myself. Then mm. you used me in two world wars to fight your enemies that I had nothing to do with. Mm, mm. And in the end, I was left without, without a state. Mm. And I guess when the British came along, look at how the economy of the Punjab was reoriented. Now, this is, this could be quite a voluminous debate. We could keep on going for days and days on how the British sheltered the uh, economy of the Punjab. But it was essentially reoriented, redirected towards creating two classes of individuals. There's the dominant class, the British, and then there is the non-dominant class, the subjects under which the Sikhs came. And as we were discussing yesterday between ourselves, most of this uh, economic disparity was focused on the rural sector. So poor families, poverty-stricken families, they saw the armed forces as a chance to acquire a strong foothold in life by acquiring land grants when they went overseas to fight the empire's enemies. 
Well, I would uh, like to confess that my family is guilty of sin. Yep, and <clears throat> now what this would have done is like, I guess even uh, as ancestral families, as far as our ones go, we were with Bandar Singh Bahadur, we saw quite a lot happen, even though, uh, you know, little brats on online media might be denying that uh, anything would have happened and accusing us of spons- us spotting the British. Anyhow, leaving all that aside, there was really no option because we failed in preserving ourselves. And when we failed to preserve our spirit, our elan, our uh, ethos as Sikhs, that led to a failure of preserving our state. And ultimately, we were hounded into a corner where the parameters were set against us. So we ourselves volunteered to go and die for someone else's wars. But the sting is this that rather than discuss that we had nothing to do with those wars, but that we had no option but to fight them, we seem to be enamored by that myth of um, martial race. Yodi Adikom, Surmi Adikom, Jan Bajadikom. And amazingly enough, this uh, all this has created this sense of, you know, that the Sikhs had a devil-may-care attitude in the past. But really, come to look at it, it got us nothing. Well, absolutely nothing at all. You you have to remember, if if we think about the 1700s, the late 1700s, let's say. Hmm. Oh, well, sorry, sorry, not late 1700s. Mm-hmm. After after Bandar Singh and uh, before the final invasion of Abdali. Hmm. We are living in the forest. We are being hunted down. Mm. And a lot of people uh, who were in our ranks were just uh, uh, involved in uh, vengeful activities, yeah? Yes, yes. To put it simply. And that we we have to avenge any atrocity on us. Mm-hmm. It, it may have been the need of the time. Mm. But that entered the character of a so-called Khalsa. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you could say, if you don't take revenge, what kind of Sikh are you? That has become, unfortunately, uh, yeah, it's the good bit to measure Sikhs today. And uh, in that sense, you could simply, simply remember, remember a single instance from our history. Mm-hmm. The Sikh the sixth guru did not avenge his father. Mm-hmm. E- even though he was a very good fighter and he never mm-hmm. lost a war or a skirmish, mm-hmm. he didn't avenge his father. Why? Mm-hmm. Was he not martial? Was he not brave? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so these examples from our own history actually contradict us, contradict those. On, on one mm. side, the sixth Pasha, in my understanding, is doing what's the practical thing to do. He's not getting involved in his personal tussle. Mm. He's just thinking of the broader Sikh image. Mm. The, the, what's better for the Sikhs? Mm. No personal vendettas are being uh, pursued until or unless the uh, state doesn't listen to the masses. Only then can they pursue a form of retributive justice, but that justice 
is also dependent on the fact that it entails that in the future there are systems established to provide a firm and a fair hearing for both parties. But, you know, if that's the point of retributive justice, then we as Sikhs seem to have failed in the past 20, 30 years because it's pretty damn easy for us to say we took so-and-so out, we assassinated so-and-so, we killed so-and-so, but we never regularized any parameters after that to ensure that justices are never tampered with or violated again. You're in New Zealand, yeah? Yes. I think uh, it was last year, March the 15th, when some Australian guy shot down 51 Muslims in Christchurch, yeah? Yes. He he wasn't executed. No, he wasn't executed. Even though there were calls to execute him, there was no execution. Yes, and uh, it was just lifetime imprisonment. Yes, yes. Uh, he will forget many colors. That's the latest. Well, I hope he rots in there and uh, he dies, dies a slow, long death. But, okay, <clears throat> horrible, horrible incident. But I'm yes. using it as an, an example of a civilized people, civilized world. Yes. Yeah? Yes, yes. You have murdered 51 innocent people. Hmm. Including kids. Little kids. Yes. Yeah? Yes. And and that person is still not executed. He's given a fair trial. He's, he's not given a quick trial because of the hmm. public sentiment. Hmm. He's given a fair trial. He's given a lawyer and everything. Mm-hmm. And the victims are allowed to confront him in the court. And you must have seen the video. Yes, I have. Yeah, people expressing their grief and their anger. Yes. For me, as as a Sikh and, and as, as an outsider, for mm. me, it looked like this is justice. Mm-hmm. A, a simple courtroom, a, a simple process, there wasn't an army of photographers in there, not, not an army of journalists. No noise, no no hustle bustle, just simple things. Mm-hmm. And in, if we were there, if, if New Zealand was a Sikh country and he had killed Sikhs or, or, or anybody in, mm-hmm. in our country, mm-hmm. he would have been gunned down on the spot. And I guess I'd like to interject something down here. Now, the way I would say this is related to the martial race theory we are discussing is that the stereotypes which consist of being labeled a martial race or which come with the label of a martial race, it's those stereotypes we seem to be fanatically worshipping. I mean, I'll give you an example. Now, in Gurdwaras, how many, uh, let's, I'll actually tell you what I've recently read. Veer Pabinder Singh of The Living Treasure, he's actually said something pretty, uh, I guess pretty prescient and pretty heart-wrenching. What he said is that, you know, in Guru Kars, you have the Sakis being recounted, you have deeds of warriors, martyrs, it's all fine. But in Guru Kars, you also need to recite the Gyan from Gurbani, which essentially says that if those individuals committed those acts, if they were ready to die, they were ready to die because they lived life as Gurbani enunciated. Now, these individuals were Jamars, I mean, from the Dalit castes, there were Jats, there were Shataris, Brahmans, Rajputs. We had the whole mix down there. And even then, they came in and died for Sikhi. But if, let's just say, now this is my own opinion, let's just say that the Sikhs are a martial race. 
I mean, first thing first, the disparity between different races joining Sikhi. And the second thing is, it's Sikhi which empowers you to die like that. It isn't a racial trait. So why then are we actually uh, corresponding and harmonizing with these stereotypes which have done us so much damage? Well, uh, it, it's far easier to say I'll beat you up than to engage in debate and defeat you. Yes, and I mean, if you look at the New Zealand thing, I mean, uh, yes, there was a period when the Mary were called a warrior race, but they shrugged off that misnomer pretty much. Whatever their issues with the state, they are progressing peacefully, and now, as I understand, there is a strong Mary inclusion in the current Labour government's uh, political cabinet. On the other hand, though, if you look at us, we never shrugged off that misnomer. We took it, we imbibed it heart and soul, and really reading between the lines, warrior martial race, I guess, warrior race, martial race, what that misnomer, that stereotype says is that these guys are so stupid, so thick, they're only good for pushing triggers, never good for signing off on decisions they've made themselves. Well, in, in very simple words, their muscles work more than their brains. Yes. Now, as far as wars, uh, empires, wars, imperial wars with Islamists are concerned, I guess these were similar uh, ideologies. There was uh, Arabian and Islamic imperialism. There was uh, British and, uh, I guess, Eurocentric imperialism going on at the time. And these were two ideologies in which the Sikhs were caught, for example, at Saragari and otherwise. So I guess those are justified to some degree, us Sikhs fighting them. On the other hand, if you look at China, suppressing Chinese revolutionaries, rebels, like I told you recently, I was reading a book about our uh, chairman Mao's, uh, one of his primary advisors. And you know what actually uh, fired the zeal for revolution in that advisor's mind? Mm, I don't know. I haven't read the book. Yes. So what actually happened is that he's actually walked out with his few friends one day to the Shanghai uh, port or harbor. And there he's met a few Sikh soldiers who have pushed them around and abjectedly humiliated them but for no reason. And it's written in simple, plain words, Sikh soldiers and turbans. Well, that's new information to me, and, and uh, it's kind of sad. Yep, because, you know, essentially, we were Europe's, I guess, imperialism's empire's lapdogs. Uh, I, I would say so. Well, something along those lines, yes. Now, recently, if you remember a few years back, uh, I, I mean, what has happened has happened. We can't change the fact that so many millions of Sikhs died for Europe. But if you look at it from another perspective, Eurocentric countries today have started, you know, foreign education scams to sort of provide, uh, well, this is my opinion, still to provide, you know, high amounts of superannuation for our aging population. How do they do it? By looting uh, third world countries getting the best and brightest over, scamming them for their money through uh, untrustworthy foreign agents, and then essentially leaving them to rot or, you know, deporting them back. Now, you know, those guys have used their brains for the advancement of another country, but they're given nothing to show for it. There's no loyalty. And all that skill and talent is depleted in the third world as well. But then if you look at it from another perspective, from another point of view, look at what Sikhs got for it. Look at what Sikhs received for it, essentially. 
partition, genocide, and everything. Yes, partition, genocide, and everything. And then on the other hand, we received nothing. We can say we received nothing for it. Now, it's easy to write books and uh, make movies how Europe is indebted, indebted to the Sikhs. We are not claiming any special, uh, you know, rewards or awards for it, you know. But let's just look at reality. Are we actually allowed to say that we fought wars, we were involved in conflicts which had nothing to do with us? Okay, uh, here is a very good point here, and I'd, I'd like to point out something. Yes. Over and over, every single yes. year, when there's the Remembrance Day, when we have we have the Anzac Day, yeah? Yes. I do not know why, and I don't understand this at all. A lot yes. of people from our community pretend, mm. especially in the UK, Yes. They pretended as if we were, number one, sovereign people. Mm. Number two, we understood what was going on in Europe. Yes. Um, and number three, we voluntarily decided to help Europeans to fight for their freedom. Mm -hmm. It almost seems to be like a sucking up mentality, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. the point is, you are in the British Army, yeah? Hmm. Let's say World War One, yeah? Yes. If the British told you, okay, go to the Sahara Desert and sift sand, could you yes. dare to say no? I guess that is a pretty pointed question. I'm telling you, as a grandson of a World War veteran, I'm telling you, yes. as a grandson of a World War veteran and everything, you are their soldier. You are a slave. You are not a person who belongs to a sovereign country or a sovereign people or a sovereign nation. Mm -hmm. They could send you to do anything anywhere across the world and you can't afford to say no. So how mm -hmm. can you, you, you claim today that Sikhs fought for the freedom of Europe? No, you were slaves. The English used you. Mm -hmm. You aren't fighting for yourself. You're fighting oh. for something which has nothing to do with you. You were fighting Germans and the Germans did absolutely nothing to you. Mm, mm. Negative or positive. Mm. So this this is the point. Very, very simple point. If anybody's listening from the UK, it might be mm. a little bit distasteful. Mm -hmm. But but I think that is the truth. We were slaves to the British. Mm. They used us in any way they saw fit. Mm -hmm. So so today you could claim these these uh, cookie points or they call it brownie points mm -hmm. in front of people who are like uh, self-hating white people, yeah, mm -hmm. that I fought for your freedom and uh, in return, if somebody knows the history, they could simply say you you were my slave. I will use it anyway. You couldn't afford to say no. Mm, that's right. Now, if you remember a few years back, there was a statue installed in the UK, I think, by a local Gurdwara committee of a Sikh soldier. Mm -hmm. Now, the rush and the big deal made about this statue on social media was very ludicrous that, you know, Britain has recognized the sacrifice of the Sikhs and blah, blah, blah. And just because a few uh, British MPs turned up, everyone went berserk, claiming, oh, look, they recognized their sacrifices. Now, I raised two issues here which I still believe are very relevant. 
first thing, what if the British had paid for that statue? Wouldn't that have been a much more potent sign of their recognizing, uh, recognizing of our sacrifices? The, the recognizing of our sacrifices would be declassifying 1984 documents. I guess that's one aspect of it, but if you look at it from a other non-political source, the government of Britain, uh, Britain building a statue of a Sikh soldier isn't that much better than a few community groups building something and then claiming that the British have recognized their sacrifices? Well, the, the British might as well do it today because uh, putting a statue doesn't cost anything. Hmm. And on the... It, it could encourage the Sikhs of today in the UK to enlist in the army. Hmm. Yeah, so, so from, from looking from a, from a British perspective, from a government's perspective, it could be a very profitable thing to do. But I guess today Sikhs have that ability, that prerogative to say yes or no, yes, I want to go in the army, no, I don't want to go in the army. There's nothing foisted about them that, you know, you're a martial race. Why aren't you joining the armed forces? Well, the martial race is focused more on business to these days, and I think that's a good thing. Yes, and the second point I raised was that, you know, we both know what happened in Caxton Hall just before World War II. 1940, yes. Yes, Udham Singh went and gunned down Michael Edwire. Yeah. Now... Before we get into, uh, before we sort of get distracted too much, go on off onto a side angle, Udham Singh was a veteran of World War One. He was a soldier. Not, and not, not many people know that. That's true. Yeah. Not many people know that. Yes, not many people know that. And the racism, xenophobia, and disillusionment he faced in the military compelled him to join the Gadar Party anyway. Wouldn't it have been much better if he is saying there are sacrifices that need to be recognized? Now, there is the imperial aspect, the Sikh soldier, you know, cast in imperial mode, fighting for empire, an empire which suppressed his sovereignty, an empire which suppressed the sovereignty of a million others. But really, in this age, I guess where the, you know, Black Lives Matter movement has uh, catalyzed in many of these anti-colonial movements going on, wouldn't it have been much better for a statue of Odomson to be installed in? The world, they would never do that. Because, really, if, you know, I don't think the British have any problem with a statue of Odomson down there in London or anywhere. It's our own community which has that problem because some senior leaders believe that that wouldn't allow them to suck up to, you know, the white man. Uh, yep, I agree. And essentially, even today, we see it in homes all over India, martial community, martial race, martial race. We aren't a martial race. What empowers us is the key. Well, uh, would you say that uh, fighting comes as a part of the Punjabi culture, not the Sikh culture? If we look at Punjab, it's... It's a land which has been invaded countless times, hasn't it? Multiple times. And people have had to, you know, I guess, glorify violence just as a strategy to survive generation from generation. And Sikhi, violence or force is a greater aspect of, oh, not a greater aspect, one of the many aspects of the faith that if you need to defend your faith, you resort to force. But all this Shastar Puja stuff and all this, this was never in our faith. 
this is just more in a way tourism pretty much no shastra puja is, is strictly not not who we are no it makes they want to do make plans whatsoever if another faith wants to do it they can do it that's their prerogative but when our own people start delineating that you know we do shastra puja we are these six we are that six that's when the panga is going to occur yep you make a good point there Mm. And unfortunately, I mean, even if you look now, another aspect of this martial race myth is that the British recognized the Sikhs as a martial race. They enlisted Sikhs in their armies. Now, have you noticed that many of these uh, Sanths and Babas who came out in the 20th century, most of them, if not all, most of them were ex-military or retired military personnel? Well, yeah, uh, including uh, the Babas who founded the Radha Swami and Narankari sects and everything. Yes, the new Narankari sect, and even those who proliferated among the Sikhs, I think some Pishar Singh and some other Singh were soldiers. The, all of them were soldiers. Yep, uh, Baba Jwala Singh of Harkovar, I think he was also a soldier. It's quite a mystery how, you know, now... To be honest, in Sikhi, a Sant is quite different from the stereotypical Sants we have today. But even those saints, those Sants, that model seems to have been decided by the British. Uh, yeah, I, I think it was, it was primarily to teach pacifism. To detract from Sikhi's martial stance, which by no means I'm saying is, a, is the entire faith, but is one of the facets of the faith. We could say that uh, Sikhi teaches us, teaches us to be sovereign, and one part of sovereignty is being able to defend it. Yes, being able to defend yourself, your views, your principles after you take a stand. Yeah. yeah. But when this pacifism came along, then there was, you know, I mean, even today we are confronted with this disparity. We are told in Gurdwaras that there is no point to this world. It's an illusion, it's a smoke. Yep. And then on the other hand, when we read our own history, we see Sikhs fighting for empires, Sikhs fighting for survival, Sikhs fighting for women from another community. Isn't that being attached to an empirical world which is an illusion? And then you start thinking, who really was for, uh, you know, attached to the illusion? Our generation, is that attached to the illusion, or was it our past generations? And if so, were those generations anti-Sikh, against Sikh, not perfect Sikhs? And this disparity leads many people to renounce Sikhi, believing it to be contradictory. Well, sometimes it happens because it, the mess is so deep, instead of trying to resolve it, some people just walk away. Some people just walk away. Yeah. And again, and see, now look at the martial race thing. That's another thing. I mean, I've personally seen uh, Pracharaks uh, from the Punjab saying that, you know, there is no point to this world. Cannibalizing Gurbani Shabbats to support their uh, regressive views and then instantly saying Sikhs are a martial race. I mean, then they will hold special occasions for relating the Battle of Saraghari and, you know, whatever else.
ਵੀ ਜੇ ਇਹ ਸੰਸਾਰ ਨਕਲੀ ਹੈ ਜਿਹਨੂੰ ਆਪਾਂ ਕੀ ਵਰਨ ਜਿਹੜਾ ਆਪਣੇ ਮੌਤ ਹੋ ਜਾਂਦੀ ਆ ਹਾਂਜੀ ਤਾਂ ਉਹ ਲਿਖਦੇ ਆ ਵੀ ਇਸ ਫਾਨੀ ਸੰਸਾਰ ਨੂੰ ਅਲਵਿਦਾ ਕਹਿ ਗਏ ਹਾਂਜੀ ਹਨਾ ਇਹ 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 ਵਰਡ ਹੈਗਾ ਵੀ ਨਕਲੀ ਵਰਲਡ ਨੂੰ ਅਲਵਿਦਾ ਕਹਿ ਗਏ ਅਸਲੀ ਵਰਲਡ ਮੌਤ ਤੋਂ ਬਾਅਦ ਆ and that essentially was what was being propagated against sikhi that pretty much muted the masses to the point i mean one of the greek historians i can't remember his name but he uh, followed alexander the great to india and they recounted how you know when porus was fighting against alexander in nearby fields the peasants the indian peasants just kept on working they were so muted that this world is false uh i think see yeah, that might have happened mm-hmm. yeah there was yeah. a it's a king fighting i don't i got nothing to do with it and then if you look at the martial castes the martial castes the you know the ones thought to be martial martial races at the time look at their disparity even they weren't able to effectively you know uh, offer any resistance because at the end of the day somewhere in their minds it must have been that they're fighting for a, that they're fighting for a holy crusade because this world is false You know how Krishna tells Arjuna in the Gita that you know you have a duty as a Kshatriya to fight to uh, progress to the next level so you can gain moksha again it's that other worldliness that is brought into the mix uh here is another point yes the caste system yes for a shudra yes is based on the fact that i must have done something bad in my previous life that's why i have been born as a shudra mm-hmm. now i must follow what the religion says that a shudra mm-hmm. must go in the next birth i may be reborn as a non shudra or a higher higher caste person mm-hmm. so that that caste system or that ideology hasn't been uh, hasn't been washed away by by sikhi it's still present in people's mind somewhere uh, somewhere in your back somewhere in your, in your unconscious mind and it still continues today the word karma that's used every day in punjab mm-hmm. it strictly comes from non sikh sources mm-hmm. you know what has been imposed on sikhi now well, a lot of things what are you talking about Yep. what has been imposed on sikhi is that their past karma has been so good that we are born in a martial race to become cannon fodder for another oh, 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 uh, precisely my point <laughs> yeah okay. we we need to uh, need to make one point clear that by our thinking mm. this life is the only life nothing absolutely nothing happens mm. to you when you die mm-hmm. Now if you look at the life of Sukhasing and Matab Singh particularly Sukhasing you know what the historic sources tell us Sukhasing was a low caste individual when he told his parents he wanted to become a sangi to fight against injustice and tyranny they told him that we are low caste peasants god has made us only to till the land and be slaves to the higher castes nonetheless Sukhasing comes into Sikhi and whether you agree with it or not i guess from my perspective he wrote a very glorious chapter in sikh history sukhasing from a non-martial caste non-martial race non-martial ethnicity call it what you will came into sikhi and became a warrior that should have been enough that one point should have been enough for our forefathers at the time to reject the martial race theory but no 
they accepted it wholeheartedly and that stereotype has followed us today. You know, if living here in the vest, and this has happened countless times with other Sikhs as well, military recruitment comes to school, oh, you guys are Sikhs, why didn't you join the military? You guys are Sikhs, why didn't you join the police? It's almost like they're saying you're born and bred for, you know, becoming cannon fodder for us. Well, we have been voluntarily becoming cannon fodder for more than 150 years, so why wouldn't they continue that? Now, my English teacher down here had experience with Sikhs before, and he told me something. You know, we were discussing this martial race theory and how it was so, uh, it's proven pernicious in the long run for many communities. And he said that, you know, external factors forced many communities to resort to the sword. That does not instantly make them a martial race, because the criteria, figure off the criteria for the martial race, then we need to except that there must be a race that's born perfect fighters from the womb, which isn't the case. No, it's not. No one's born a perfect fighter from the womb. If if there was a martial race or a warrior race, and the entire world would have been under their rule today. Hmm. Now, if you look at Guru Gobind Singh, do you know, you know, how it's argued that you can't uh, theorize against established history. You know what I'm talking about, right? Uh, there is this thing that uh, I, I, I don't know from where I heard it, somewhere on YouTube or, or yep. somewhere else, that in, in history only the dates are correct and everything else is an opinion. Yes. And uh, yeah, yeah, uh, Something like that. I don't remember the full quote, but uh, I think I agree with it. And yes. you, you, you could say that from a European perspective, there was a quote that history is a set of lies agreed upon. Hmm. Now, anyway, they say you can't theorize against established history, what has been established. But if you look at this established history, Guru Gobind Singh Ji learned how to fight. He wasn't born a perfect fighter from the womb. No, 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 he learned, yeah, he learned everything. He learned. Guru Hargobind Sahib Ji learned from Baba Buddha. Baba Buddha, it said, learned from Guru Nanak Dev Ji. Now, whatever the truth of the matter, the Gurus themselves learned the arts of war, strategy, and statesmanship. So who are we to say that we are a martial race born perfect? <clears throat> and, and Guru Gobind Singh mastered multiple languages. He mastered multiple languages, but we accept... We agreed that there was an education involved. It wasn't from the start. Yeah. It wasn't like Guru Sahib went into uh, a, a small underground room and came out after uh, two days or something and he was fluent in 20 languages. <laughs> so, I guess our history, these small details in our history, they tell us that we aren't a martial race. That if anything, Sikhi makes us a martial race in defense of the Sikh life. But, as <coughs> Usual, we don't adhere to Sikhi. We just go after what someone else says. Now, you see, if someone was to put up, send me an army of Sikhs online, a poster with a, you know, European individual, you know, a quote, send me an army of Sikhs, or Sikhs are a great race, Sikhs are the bravest race, uh, here's a new one, why a Pakistani general conceded defeat in front of the Sikhs and called them a martial race. Other than the Vahigru Satnam comments on there, you will have all these Jobolis on how comments, and you'll see such multiple people down there saying you're a martial comma, and you sort of think that so much, you know, you're prancing about and releasing so much hate. 
if someone asks, what have you done productively in life? What has Sikhi's martial status got in it? Then you just start crying about what's happened this past century. That all oh, we lost our state. This happened, this happened, that happened. And you know what people say? Oh, yup, you fell for the oldest trick in the book. They amplified that one trait you believed about yourself, bolstered your ego until they cut away your feet, and there you go. Martial race, my foot. You should have been a smart race. <laughs> oh, oh, uh, talking, talking about the smart, there is a, a, a saying in Punjab. Yes. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you a little anecdote. They say, Babuji pare lakheo, and Babuji says, Any sare pukeya. That's the thing. I don't know how it happened, but uh, we kind of dislike intelligence, I would say. Yes. Now, let's just make one thing clear here, Navjeet. We aren't saying that, you know, Sikh men should not be masculine. You know, God made us masculine. God made women feminine. Now, you know, armed warfare can be done by both, you know, a masculine individual and I guess a feminine individual like a woman. But it's this toxic hypermasculinity which has mixed itself with the martial race theory and all these other stereotypes, which has ultimately destroyed our societal, our cultural, and our family blocks, hasn't it? I'll give you one example. Yep, it's that which we oppose. Okay. Mm. A few years ago, oh, in, in in India, we we used to have a Gatka class in our Gurdwara, yeah? Yes. There were no classes for reading Gurbani. Hmm. There were no classes for understanding Gurbani. Hmm. There was there was no training for understanding the world around us. Mm -hmm. It was just you must learn to fight. Mm -hmm. Even to think, okay, you could say Guru Nanak all the way to sixth guru. The sixth mm. guru fought. The first five gurus didn't. Mm. To fall in the chronology, shouldn't you be mm. teaching, shouldn't you be developing our brains before you develop our muscles? The gurus had a comprehensive curriculum. This is the same point we raised during the Sikhi and Shastas episode. Even though, you know, the Tom, Dick and Harry on the street accused us of opposing the Kirpan, which we never did. If you want to listen to the episode, this is for the listeners, please listen to it again. What we said was there was a center, there was a system to develop the Sikhs both intellectually, cognitively, psychologically, and physically to make them worthy of retaining our weapon, to ensure they comprehended the responsibilities which came along with the Gurban. This system is lacking today, and like you say, a kid learns Gatka, find that he can fight in self-defense or he fights in offense. What is there to regulate his usage? What is there to allow him to interpret the situation? I mean, I, I am a martial artist. I've experienced in martial arts. I have defended myself on the street. If someone comes up to me and threatens me and I smash him in the face, legally, I'm at fault because what if that person was going to do nothing? Like, let's say it's an old lady, you know? But once you actually start training in martial arts, you learn that the fine line between control and non-control, it's very easy to cross that unless you have training beforehand telling you to be careful. That is true. If, uh, if you are trained in some kind of martial arts, you, uh, your body becomes a weapon, yeah? Yes, your body becomes a... You are a weapon. Yeah. 
and to control what? that weapon, you need to train your brain, and and that should be the priority. Hmm. And that's what we are getting at down here is that this martial race theory, along with its stereotypes, first thing first, Sikhi isn't a race, Sikhi is a belief. It's altered many races, yes. But on the other hand, the stereotype of being born perfect for years, that's nothing. That's rubbish. Nobody's born into anything. You were just born as a biological creature and what you make out of your life. Well, in childhood, it's, it's just your upbringing and then it's up to you. Now, imagine a Sikh republic full of Sikh warriors. We have a Sikh military regime. And then on the other hand, imagine a Sikh republic where the Sikh head of the state presidential, a civilian. Mm -hmm. Which one do you think is more progressive? Well, of course a civilian. Military governments never progress, never have. Mm. They have a framework which they think through. And that framework is, you know, martial. Now that martial race framework we have, that stereotypes foisted a framework on us which has been routinely fed to us by our parents at the Gurdwara and all over until we have become these, uh, I guess, brainless fighters. Everything we think of, every decision we make, it's through the martial lens. Sadly, this is true. And I guess as a conclusion, <clears throat> because this was going to be quite a relative topic, you can't change this damage overnight. It's probably going to take generations. But let's just start with the first acceptance. Sikhi isn't a martial religion. No, it's not, sir. Militarism is only a part of it. It's not the greater whole. And this martial race theory needs to be discredited. Our kids can be doctors. Our kids can be anything they want. If they want to be soldiers, fine then. But to say that they're born and bred for soldiering, this is just repeating lies from the centuries past in which we lost, what, seven to eight million of our youth. Yeah, we lost a lot of people still don't learn. And, uh, okay, uh, I'd like to make a statement here. Yes. We, we, in the, in the Gurdwara, we rarely, rarely see libraries. Have you ever seen a library in the Gurdwara in India? No, I've seen none. So the library might train your brain to, to learn something? Mm -hmm. But it's not there. No. So over the centuries, I would say, or after India became independent, did mm -hmm. nobody, did nobody thought, maybe, maybe, if we could train our kids to learn something in the good world, that, that could be beneficial to them for, and for the future and the future of the Sikh nation as a whole. Mm -hmm. But no, we must keep swords in the Gurdwara uh, for, for learning Gatka and everything. Mm. Which one do you, need, do you need in today's world? A book or a sword? <clears throat> if there is a violent confrontation, we need to answer it equally. But on the other hand, the detractors of Sikhi have changed their tactics. Yeah, but my point we was to to make it very, very clear, you need knowledge every single day. You might need to use, use the sword once a year or something, or once a decade or something. Mm -hmm. You need to use the knowledge every single day. It may be part mm -hmm. of your job. Mm -hmm. It may be part of your everyday life. It may be part of mm -hmm. your research. It may be, may be part of your, your project or whatever. 
And <clears throat> that point you're making, Navjeet, that Veer Singh song we were discussing a few episodes back, Mitti De Putro Akalan Uttar Luavo, he's actually made a very salient point in there that when you need to answer a Kirpan, answer it with a Kirpan. When it's a law, when it's a policy, you answer it with your mind, you unleash your intellectual powers upon that. You can't confront that with a sword. No, you can't. You can't. And Guru Gobind Singh Ji, the Sikh Gurus, confronted the foe in the military field when they were required to. Otherwise, look at Banda Singh Bhadra and Nawab Kapoor Singh. There was surely political training, statesmanship training going on. That right, this is how you run a government, this is how you form a government, this is how you conduct a government. And if it was all to do with weapons are divine and, you know, Sikhi is a martial faith, I don't think we would have seen the liberalism and laxity which these uh, rulers brought along. Rather, we would have seen a military junta worse than the Mughals. We would have. That's 100% guaranteed. I agree with you there. <clears throat> and it's high time. I mean, there's nothing... See, let's just remember something. We are soldier saints, but we are not solely soldiers. It's time we bring the saint of Gurbani out, and the saint of Gurbani is the intellectual in accordance with Ogham. Think about it in this way. Hmm. Today there is... Okay. Let's say there is a Canadian guy or an American guy or, or a Kiwi guy of, of European heritage, let's say. Mm -hmm. He learns about Sikhi. Mm. Yeah. From somewhere online or read some texts, read, read some books or watch some documentary or something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, he, and he likes what he sees and he says, okay, I want to be a Sikh. Mm. If he, he decides to focus on the scriptures, Hmm. And then he takes Amrit and everything. Hmm. Would he be a less of a Sikh if he doesn't learn learns how to fight it, if he doesn't learn how to use a sword? Not in my opinion. Well, <clears throat> of, course, of course not. What what if let's say a, uh, this person hmm. goes on to become let's say uh, uh, he uh, he develops a vaccine? For, mm. for, for a deadly disease, yeah? Mm -hmm. Are we going to say, oh, well, you have the brains, but uh, you are a saint, but you are not a soldier? Mm -hmm. are, we, are we going to say that? No. It would be a massive shot in the foot for ourselves if we do. Yeah, so maybe, maybe we, we need to focus exactly what Sikhi is. Mm, mm, yeah. Mm. Yes, because you know what? In short, states were so successful was that they were so flexible. They could be soldiers one moment, statesmen next moment, intellectuals the next. There was a flexibility which today is not there, and that's what the British destroyed with the martial race myth. They made us just you know cemented as soldiers, nothing else. You have to remember that. Uh, mm. Okay, have you have you ever met uh, a special forces soldier? Oh yes, countless. I've actually met a guy who was ex-SAS. Yes. And uh, of course, I couldn't ask him if he had done done something or wh where he had went or whatever. Mm -hmm. And uh, that guy was so disciplined. Mm. And he was so cool-headed. Mm -hmm. 
you wouldn't believe that this guy was a uh, SAS. <coughs> we used to go hiking, yeah? Yes. And uh, oh, we were swimming in a lake. Mm. And there were a lot of injuries on his upper torso. Upper mm. body, yeah? Mm-hmm. Well, of course I saw it. And uh, I asked him, well, you, you have some marks there. Mm. And uh, he politely told me uh, a few days later mm. that uh, those were shrapnel and gunshot wounds that he said, I am excessive. Mm-hmm. No, now, I could have thought that he was bluffing, mm-hmm. but I knew he wasn't bluffing because uh, 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 I had the opportunity to go to his place mm-hmm. and he uh, showed me a few things that said, okay, this guy's real. I cannot mm-hmm. tell what he showed me because of some reasons, mm-hmm. but he showed me a few things, a few photographs and everything. Yep. And uh, of course, you have your medals and you have your certifications and uh, you you have your gear, yeah. Yep. And uh, this guy is real. For me, it was unbelievable because up to that time, I always thought that uh, if you are a special forces soldier, you are just always on the look, yeah. Yep. Yep. You have you have killer eyes and everything. Yep. You massive biceps. Yeah, massive. Well, not exactly massive biceps, but uh, chiseled face, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and you speak with a heavy voice, and you you, you swear a lot and everything. Yep. Yeah. So, my point being that a soldier is a very disciplined person, mm. and uh, most most of the so-called Sikh soldiers today are not. Do you? Would you like to clarify that point? Sikh soldiers serving in the armed forces, or just the run-of-the-mill guys on the street? No, no, no. The, the people who mentally still live in the 17th century or 18th century who thinks that uh, wearing a certain dress and carrying mm-hmm. a sword, sword makes them Khalsa and the same soldier. That they're a martial race. Yeah. Mm. You, you have to remember that pulling the trigger is the last resort a soldier does. You must have seen a few videos from Kashmir where they're yes. trying, trying to convince the terrorists to surrender. Mm-hmm. A soldier is a very anti-war person. A soldier is a very anti-violence person. Mm-hmm. That's what my experience is. Mm. And I, I would say that the same should be in our in our in our Sikh, in our Sikh uh, character. It because should be because unfortunately today mm. it's the sword get pulls out the very second somebody disagrees with you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's the Tommy, it's the ego, the real martial race. So, you know, I'm a martial race. Who the hell is he to say that to me? I'm going to uh, live up to my ancestors' images, blah, 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 without realizing that we are still entrapped by a myth made so many years ago to destroy us, and we're only furthering its cause. Well, that myth, uh, uh, okay, so, sorry. That myth served a lot of people who got rich by land grants. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to let it go. It's hard. But another thing is that, you know, while Sikhi doesn't change, it enunciates that we change for the best. And now, to summarize, it's high time we let go of this martial race myth, or our generations will be cannon fodder for another's wars. Well, uh, 
well, that that is that that is a big possibility that might happen. And uh, mm. currently, to to this date, we are actually in Borobudur in, in a lot of places. Mm-hmm. If not direct in Borobudur, you are just working for some somebody else. Mm-hmm. And it's time we open our brains and we realize that the Khalsa. If it's destructive for the foe, it's constructive for the non-foe. Well, innovation comes first. Brains mm. come first. Mm-hmm. And the real Dasamdwar is our brain. Yep, we have to remember it's Shabda Guru Suratanjala. There's no mention of weapons. Suratanjala. And now I guess it's high time that we stop saying that, you know, Sikhi is a martial religion because Sikhi, martialism is an aspect of Sikhi but not the entire whole, and we shouldn't glorify it as such, otherwise it threatens to assert us. Thank you for joining us. Until next time, Wahiguru Ji Kakaan Sahib.